sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, some have banked concrete ovals where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation, including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace, providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. Does your venue need a high-capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. One of the more interesting sports stories of the year was the debut of St. Louis City SC, which dazzled fans and observers both on and off the pitch. While the story of an expansion team winning its conference is remarkable in and of itself, we're here today to talk about the stadium technology side of the equation and all of the strategy, planning, and execution that made the debut season of City Park a resounding success. We're joined today by Matt Seebeck, Chief Experience Officer for St. Louis City SC, who's going to give us the details on the thinking behind the technology that supported the team and the stadium, and what it was like being on the opening season roller coaster ride. Matt, uh, welcome to the podcast, and could you start off by telling us what are, exactly are the duties of a chief experience officer, and, and how you came to find yourself in that spot in St. Louis? Now, thanks for having me, Paul. I really appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, a bit of a new role in sports, um, but not foreign to the world of restaurant and consumer-facing retail brands, which is where I spent the majority of my career. So this is my first job in sports. I'm, I'm born and raised in St. Louis, and it was a chance for me to really take a lot of personal passions of, you know, a love of soccer, uh, a love of, of St. Louis, where I'm from, but to bring a lot of institutional knowledge of how fast-moving consumer brands organize themselves. And it's really around this concept of putting experience at the center of everything we do. So no matter where a fan uh, finds us or engages with us um, is what my team ultimately oversees from social channels, digital, our city app, retail stores, uh, live experience, and then of course the, uh, the technology that powers all of those um, channels of execution. So it's been um, a pretty fun uh, three years. Uh, I've been with the ownership group really from uh, from day one, since we um, were awarded a team and then ultimately launched as Major League Soccer's 29th franchise this season. Well, that's great. For pretty much the last decade or so, anytime a new stadium opens, we hear at Stadium Technology Report here about ownership's plans to make it as technologically advanced as possible. But at City Park this year, I'd have to say that bar was not just met 
but it was raised some. Before we get into some of the specific technology use cases, can you tell me what the initial thinking was on on the city park ownership end? What was the technology foundation that the ownership thought was necessary to make all the other elements work? And and where did that team initially look for guidance and help? Well, I, I think, you know, ha- understanding that, you know, our ownership group is the, the Taylor family who own Enterprise Rent-A-Car, a, a company that has prided itself for decades in unreasonable service and, and hospitality and has really set itself apart, um, you know, with NPS scores and industry comparables to have really that ethos driven from the top down is, is I think, where we start. And that is, you know, not to invest in technology just because it's the latest and greatest, but to invest in technology that, that solves real problems. And that is really taking a, a consultative approach of looking at all of the touch points along the fan journey from when fans wake up to how they get to the stadium how they uh, access tickets and food and beverage and retail and how they leave the match. Like all of those things can impact uh, a brand experience and ultimately in an NPS score or a survey score. So I think the thing that really sets us apart is we really took that consultative approach and looked at a lot of principles established by you know, Disney World and other theme parks, location-based entertainment to understand that it is really beyond a single point of transaction or service. There are many points that add up to the fan experience. And I think that's what that we've done better than anyone. Were there any outside firms, say consulting firms, advising firms that were consulted? Or did you guys, I'm, I'm guessing you went around and looked at other stadiums. What was that process like? Yeah, a lot of a lot of other stadiums, and you know, our first year observing other stadiums was actually during COVID. So um, it was actually a rewarding experience for us because we were going and checking out other uh, stadiums, uh, not not just in soccer, watching games, but we're you know a group of five people in a stadium that's completely empty. So you know, getting to view stadiums without fans and figuring out flow and you know number of gates and how concession stands were oriented in a stadium, getting to do that in, in the year 2020 um, and seeing things with eyes wide open and then coming back a year later and seeing it now with fans and how did you know we think fans were going to act versus how they actually acted. We, we learned a lot, and especially in soccer, you know, in the restaurant world, we, we called them day parts, but in, in soccer, learning you know, how fans act pregame, the soccer match is broken down into two 45-minute halves, most fans were showing up right at kickoff, which meant you really only had a 15-minute halftime to do the majority of your sales. That was a key insight for us is we built a lot of our engagement strategy around that exact supply-demand problem. So a lot of our technology decisions were, were built on that. I remember you were saying that the, the team did not wait for the stadium to be open uh, to start the technology push. Can you provide some details about the thinking behind the team app? why it was built internally, what the most important features were, and how launching it early really helped. Well, we were, you know, obviously, you know, coming out of, out of COVID, we were meeting with a lot of fans, um, setting up focus groups. And the idea of, of being mobile first um, was obviously uh, patterns and behaviors that we saw greatly accelerated during the pandemic. So things like curbside pickup and personalized promos and offers. And what we saw in sport was... Uh, club apps or team apps are, you know, they're, they're table stakes. Every team has them. But 
the impact that they have are, are not very good. And the fact that we were new, I think, gave us an advantage where we knew if, if we could orient ourselves around a mobile first venue and push it heavily with our fan base where they stepped in the venue for the first time and they were, you know, using the mobile app was just a part of their journey. We're not having to recondition people or undo behavior that's been here for 20, 30 years that we would have a massive advantage. So uh, we actually, we home grew our app. We wanted to really, you know, control the front door of that user experience. And we launched our app 18 months before our first game here in, in, in March of 23. Early on, you know, we didn't have a stadium. We have no games. Um, it really, content was really what drove the need to download that app. So we did behind the scenes photo galleries. And when we signed players and coaches, this was really the place to meet them and get behind the scenes access. And we knew that if we could, if we could get adoption early, the, the long-term strategy was we'd be opening a venue in March of 23 where we had a large percentage of our season ticket member base and just our fans in general that were used to using the app. So if we could cross that chasm, then it really opened the possibilities for us inside City Park to do things like mobile order ahead and personalized agendas and location awareness and recommendations. And again, I don't think we're, we're reinventing the wheel. There's nothing particularly unique about any of those ideas. It's just the adoption curve in sports is tremendously low. We knew that we had an advantage there and we wanted to take advantage of it. Coming up, we discuss how City Park's innovative program of using 100% local food providers combined with the app technology to help stretch the food ordering window. More with Matt Seebeck after the break. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. It seems like being able to tie the app and the order ahead to the whole food programming was a key part of also getting people there early, correct? Yeah, no doubt. And you know, there's a foodie town. It's a massive advantage of, of St. Louis. Um, a lot of people settled in St. Louis, immigrants, because of the way our, you know, the rivers formed the city and transit and transportation opportunities were massive back in the day. So what we have left here is a very diverse and international community that really shines through the food. So we've got great barbecue, but we also have great Bosnian and Senegalese, Italian, Vietnamese, and we wanted to bring that alive inside City Park. So we have over 25 local food partners, and it is reason enough to come to City Park. And we wanted to use that as a driver for fans on Saturday night, not to eat at home or stop on the way. The food is desirable enough that you want to get dinner at the park. And so that is what is is driving fans to, you know, they're already in their seat, you know, 30, 60 minutes before kick large in part because of, of the food experience. So we're actually, you know, we talked about that supply demand problem at halftime, 15 minutes at halftime to do most of, of soccer stadium sales. We're actually seeing 65% of our food and beverage revenue actually comes before kick. 
So the fact that food is diverse and, and delicious um, is a massive driver for us. That's great. And the other thing I noticed in attending the game this summer, and I know you've talked about this before, the technology, uh, I guess, of the architecture technology of the stadium is pretty interesting as well because there's no back door. There's no backside to the stadium. Uh, the hotel I was, was staying in, you know, I could see the little tunnel going. I'm like, this is just a brilliant idea. I mean, was that just kind of a, a thing that happened by luck or, or by thought or you know, how did that come about? It was um, really just the, the elevation of the area. And um, this is where, you know, the, the experience of our uh, of HOK, um, our, our design and, and architecture partner in this project, um, had the, you know, this, this brilliant idea to move back a house and, you know, the way that broadcast and security and deliveries and how everything kind of the messy stuff of a stadium, um, usually that's on the fourth side of a stadium, an alleyway or a private building, which, you know, as I said, messy for fans. But what that does is, is when you use one of the four sides of a stadium, then you only have three open for, for fans and gates. So we thought that by moving that tunnel underground, it actually solved two problems for us. One, it, it kind of hid the mess of back of house right. for our fans, which aesthetically we, we didn't like. But then the kind of the secondary benefit was we added a fourth side to, to our stadium for, for flow. And I think the stadium feels more connected to the neighborhood because of it. We really are, you know, all sides are open, which I think, you know, our ownership group was very intentional about their mission for the club and, and using this as a defining point for accessibility and inclusivity in St. Louis. So it, it, it kind of served two purposes for us. That's great. And then even when approaching the stadium from the outside, one thing I found is, you know, the, there's big sort of wide open plaza areas and there was already a, a robust wireless network deployment that fans can uh, tap into, you know, with all the focus on everything being digital, ticketing, food ordering, app, you know, how crucial was it to ensure that City Park's wireless coverage was world-class? I mean, it, it has to be. And that's where, again, you know, the, the Disney World and the theme park mentality of, you know, we, we have a stadium, but we also have, we, we sit on a 31-acre district. We're the only professional sports organization in North America that has not only its stadium, but team store, our training fields, and team headquarters as one downtown urban campus, and having you know 31 acres of, of Wi-Fi where coach and player can start at the training center, reviewing a video, walk down the district into the stadium, and never lose connectivity. We wanted that type of experience not only for our fans but also our staff. So you know our wireless network was was hugely important from the fan experience side. But also operationally, you know, we worked with um, our partner, uh, AmpThink, as our lead technology integrator, um, who designed massive projects like SoFi Stadium in, in California, and taking that lesson learned of how do we really, from the top down, treat this more like a, a real estate project or a theme park project so that we have not five networks to manage and five infrastructures as we have different properties and who knows where we'll be five years from now adding different properties. But as we do, it's a single converged network where we get to, to leverage the infrastructure investment in the stadium that, you know, 20 matches a year is lit up and, and going crazy. 128 terabytes of data transferred at City Park this year. Wow. But it's in the non-game days where we get to leverage that infrastructure investment across our entire district. So operationally and kind of a, a cap and OpEx perspective, it's a, it's a massive advantage for us. 
That's great. You know, sort of as the fan, I'm, I'm kind of like trekking the fan journey here. So I'm approaching the entrance of the stadium. And when I was there, I saw that the team is using the Evolve Express gateways for weapons detection screening. And it seems like that is something that's resonating with a lot of stadiums and sports teams around the way. Can, can you just talk about a little bit about that, the technology behind the entry, the, the security, the ticketing? Because again, you know, it just seemed like the flow was at the pace of walking. I didn't see big lines stack up. And I know that's what stadiums are trying to avoid. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, with some of the research we, um, in visiting other stadiums, a lot of, um, I think, good thinking and, and next generation experiences inside the four walls of, of venues and stadiums. But what is often forgotten is that that front door and the kind of the cliche one first impression that's always the gates. And, um, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were getting that one right. We also, not to sound hyperbolic, but wanted that to be magical and for fans to, to be able to walk up to our gates and not have to stand in long security lines and empty their pockets and search purses. And we, we really wanted fans through the, you know, the use of digital ticketing and our Evolve readers to really kind of just continue their flow right into the stadium. So it is, of all the different investments that we've made, it is um, very, very, in surveys and, and data, very highly rated our, our ticketing and gate experience, which is, I think, a bit, um, we've kind of flipped the model in terms of that touch point. Coming up, we break down some statistics from City Park's first season, including an eye-opening number of mobile order-ahead transactions. More with Matt Seebeck after the break. This episode is also brought to you by Matsing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. Highlight of our story from this summer where we did the profile of the uh, food and beverage operations there. Can you give us a little bit of a recap on you know what worked well, what maybe didn't, what are you looking to add more of? Were you able to glean from you know a full season of people banging against it? Tons of lessons learned. I, I think the you know one of the the powerful things is so much data and feedback from fans that making changes is is not an annual thing. Um, we're, we're making changes every week, um, and I think with all of our restaurant partners being local, they've also learned how to roll up their sleeves and embrace change. And through mobile ordering and digital ticketing and all these things, they're fully on board and, and committed to this. And I think if you know if we look at the season as a whole coming into uh, you know an industry like sports where mobile adoption was was really low we saw 23% of our transactions come through mobile both through mobile ordering mobile scan and pay our city wallet so we're seeing i think really good validation of this strategy that we've put in place and what mobile represents for us is you know if you have a 15 minute halftime to do sales well mobile now gives us a, a 25 or a 30 minute window at halftime because Fans have figured out those behaviors that 10 minutes before halftime, I place an order, I go pick up my bag, and I'm back to my seats before the second half starts. So we're seeing really good adoption, you know, 23% of, uh, through mobile, but also, you know, not to, um, 
to overlook this, but the fact that we're showing off these local restaurants, you know, we're participating in a, in a rev share agreement where they have skin in the game, we have skin in the game. Um, we're serving up the technology at, at our cost and our investment. So they get to use the power of our platform. We had over three and a half million dollars contributed back to locally owned small business and restaurants this year. So wow. um, I think that's, um, you know, kind of certainly this is a chat about technology, but the community aspect of it is we were looking to be a reflection of community inside City Park and to see that level of investment go back to small businesses is, um, is, is pretty special. Yeah, and it was interesting. Again, I thanks for the ability to talk to some of the local providers. You know, and most of them are small restaurant owners or food truck owners. And for them, you know, it was a real challenge for them to step up and embrace the technology because I think farm trucks is like you're used to the truck. You got a line of about ten people. If things are going bad, you can just say it's going slow. Can't do that at the stadium. But that's you know, right. With the mobile ordering and with uh, things like the zip-in stores. I mean, it, it seems like you've given them really powerful tools to be able to to participate in a stadium environment. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think so much credit goes to um, to our tech team as well for really providing education for you know from self service kiosks, the zip in markets, to mobile scan and pay. We pride ourselves on variety. It's 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 the right technology tool to solve the the problem at hand. You know, our tech team and digital team do such a good job educating the local restaurants on the purpose of the technology, how to walk customers and fans through it. But I'd say, you know, in March, we had a lot of those local businesses that I, we were worried about some of them coming back for April because <laughs> the, the scale and the complexity of what they're dealing with at City Park is so immense. But everyone kind of came together. And by the end of the season, you, you really see them thriving, asking for more locations, wanting to change their menu every single game to keep it new and interesting. So I think, you know, we have found a, a group of local partners that have, you know, approached this head on and want to do more now. So that's really good to see. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the fans caught on to it too, because I, I've been to several venues over the past few years, especially like with the checkout free stores, the zip in markets. And it, it's interesting to watch. You can always spot a first time user as opposed to somebody who's been there two or three times and who knows the system and they just fly through and, and you guys located those behind the supporter section for a reason, right? That's right. Yeah. Two zip in stores behind the supporter section. Uh, Cause we know that section it skews younger, it's more diverse. Um, but even, you know, through the use of, of location awareness and ticket data, you know, our know before you go emails are, you know, one-to-one -one personalized because we know where you're sitting what type of technology experiences are going to be by you. So those types of things of creating that one-to-one -one communication and messaging is super important for onboarding as well. That's great. All right, let's crystal ball a little bit because you, you got now you got one season under the belt. The foundation of technologies are in. It seems like you know, you're, you're in place to build things bigger than the stadium itself. I know a lot of venues are looking you know, to the model of having the stadium surrounded by an area with commerce, with retail. So it's even easier for people to say, we're going to spend, you know, half the day. We're going to go to a dinner at this place, walk right into the stadium. So when you look to the near future and then farther ahead, do you feel like you have the base of technology you need um, to support new ideas? And what else are you looking at, you know, short term and near term facial authentication? I mean, there's all kinds of really interesting things that's popping up here and there. What does the second, third act look like for St. Louis City SC? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, keeping our eye on on everything. I think some of the the, the facial recognition stuff is is super interesting. You know, for us, I think we had such a, a head start because we're new, because we're post pandemic, because we pushed mobile. So I think you know the keys for us next year will really center around personalization and automation. Um, I think we have all the platforming that we need, um, and now we just want to continue to drive these magical personalized experiences. And so think, you know, my itinerary of how I show up and when I show up at City Park is different if I'm going with a buddy versus if I'm taking my three kids and how that impacts where I park, what I eat, how early I arrive, do I need a jacket because of the weather? So I think we're sitting on an immense amount of opportunity and data and being able to really continue to personalize that so every fan feels like they're taken care of in a very magical way is um is really our focus for next year along with with automation and i think technologies like open ai chat gpt play a big role in that clubs like us and venues all over the world are sitting on massive meaningful data sets and being able to put that to use for us so that we can automate things um whether that's for the fan or or for our business to come up with key insights that we we would never come up with on our own via Tableau or other reporting mechanisms. So I am um, very bullish on our our opportunities on on both personalization and automation. Great. So uh, 10, 11 months ago, if I had told you that all this would have rolled out exactly the way you planned, what, what would you have said to me? You want to take a little victory lap here? I mean, what does it feel like now looking back? Well, I, I I do think you know we had we had three years to build this, and it, we did a ton of research. And I think you know taking that consultative approach, where you know we had the support of ownership, but wanted to understand the problems we were trying to solve. I think um, we made very good and wise bets. Um, I think you know one of the major lessons learned is um, you can take a city like St. Louis, middle of America, and think that fans are going to be hesitant. Uh, or fearful of of new ways to engage or new technologies. And we have not found that to be the case whatsoever. We took risks and our fans were here for it. So um, I think that's insight for us moving forward. That is the next technologies come along, you know, finding small groups uh, to introduce that to learn, but have this culture of continuous improvement is um, what we're looking to set at the club and also for our fans. Well, hearty word of congratulations for us. But because, you know, for looking from the outside in, it really was a, a pretty impressive and um, looking forward to seeing what's next in St. Louis City SC and from City Park. This is Paul Kapuska, Stadium Tech Report Podcast, Matt Seebeck, our guest, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate you. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report, whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid-for content to the stadium technology marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, Matsing and JMA, and our publication sponsors, which include Boingo, Mobility, Comscope, and American Tower. The Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary. Technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by creative director Dan Grimsley and digital designer Jackie Wen. 
Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio, video, and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.